0: Fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Havener. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pyle trying to get try In for the touchdown. What a great second over. Here comes the.
1: Oh here comes the. Oh here comes the.
2: Oh.
0: I so,
1: what's going on? It's your boy The Wolf of Roto Street, RotoStreetJournal.com We breed and feed you fantasy wolves, thrilled to welcome on for the second time, Mr. Peter Overzet. You can find him at Peter Overzet on Twitter Twitter and YouTube. You can find more of his work, shows, schedules, all that good stuff at PeterOverzet.com, including the awesome Ship Chasing, Swolecast, Tilt Space, Randomizer, a million and one shows. I love it, Pete. There's so many ways to find you and interact with you. You also collab with Matthew Berry on a weekly Fantasy Life newsletter. And I just think you're the picture of bringing kind of knowledge along with entertainment into this fantasy space. So, Peter,
2: thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, last year we did this show around this same time. It was uh, a ton of fun and uh, excited to be back. Awesome. I appreciate it. I'm glad as we were talking right before we got live, the world's a little bit of a better place,
1: some might say, at this point of the year uh, than we met last year. But it's still uh, a lot's going on these days. Maybe a couple improv things around that later if we have the time. Uh, You crushed it last year. A lot of good rave reviews on that. Uh, but our main focus today, you dropped a, an awesome recent video for Establish the Run, focusing on 10 tips to win your best ball leagues. And I think there's a lot of people joining these underdog contests, low entry fees, large field, where they have this huge shot at life-changing money, you know, $25 to win a million bucks and the underdog best ball mania, use promo code Pete if you're joining, Uh Uh, but not a lot of people are diving into the optimal strategy, at least the the large field of it, other than us fantasy nuts this time of year, so I really want to dig into a lot of that, in addition to having some fun content planned for later in on the show, as well, the strategies, the tips, the mindsets, and all that good stuff, Uh, sound good with you, Pete? Yeah, it sounds awesome. Awesome, Uh, and we'll start right at the top, and and before we get into this question, if you're on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, quick thumbs up, means the world, helps us get out to more people, would be greatly appreciated, Twitter, wherever you're at, Uh, so thanks again for considering that, but I I think one of the spots we have to start at the top is one of the largest fields of debate on Twitter, and just everywhere, is the RB position, and the strategy, how to attack this position, million different names and strategies around it, Hyper fragile, zero RB, anchor RB, all that good stuff, Uh, a million titles to it. What is your preferred strategy when you're doing these underdog best ball drafts?
2: Yeah, I I would say I kind of vacillate back and forth between going true zero RB or going with the, uh, the single elite running back in the first round and then kind of discarding running back until much later in the draft. I, I haven't been doing a ton of hyper-fragile, um, mainly because the wide receiver thirst these days is so real. So when if, if I start with three running backs, I did it once the other day from the 101 where I went cmac mac uh, Najee Harris, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I got all three of those guys, which Ooh. seemed like a nice start, but man, I got it got thin at wide receiver so quickly that I felt – uncomfortable. So I prefer the zero RB or the one running back up top. And right now wide receivers getting pushed up draft boards. And in basically every round there's nice running back value. So if I use up all my running back slots early, I can't take advantage of the value later. So I prefer to go wide receiver early. Absolutely. And when you
1: say use up your your spots, I'm I'm guessing you're hinting towards, you know, ideal roster construction, all that good stuff too. So I'd love to dive into that uh, a little bit. You know, why have you started to go towards these zero RB builds or these, these single elites? What's some data you may have learned in the past, whether it's, you know, roster construction, different trends from last year, winners, you know, what's kind of informing this strategy for you?
2: Yeah. uh, My buddy who I do ship chasing with Pat Corain, he just recently wrote a really good article for NBC Sports Edge about how if we're drafting running backs, we want them to have the legendary upside. We're trying to get the Christian McCaffrey, the Todd Gurley year. You know, these are what we're trying to hit and they're few and far between. And basically what we end up doing collectively as drafters is we take a lot of shots at these guys just hoping we hit on one of them. And I think the market basically agrees that outside of Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook right now, there's a lot of question marks about all of the running backs. There's upside cases for sure, but there's also holes. And the way I kind of think about drafts is, and and Sean Siegel has talked about this a lot too, is we're kind of chasing that legendary upside when we're taking the Joe Mixons, um, you know, even the Jonathan Taylors. And yet... We're kind of bailing out the teams from the 101 and 102. Like we're already behind the CMAC and Dalvin Cook owner. So, what's the best way to combat that? Well, getting as much wide receiver firepower in there as possible because on a given week, we know Stefan Diggs, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, they can match. The ceiling of a Dalvin or Christian McCaffrey. So that's kind of how I like to think about how do I beat these 101 and 102 teams? So I'm going to do it with the elite wide receivers. Now, that said, I'll mix it up uh, in drafts and I don't want to have, I'm doing 150 teams in the underdog best ball mania. And I don't want them all to be the exact same structure. Whereas, sure, if I drafted one team, yeah, it would probably be like this. But I like balancing it out, knowing that there's lots of different ways this season could go.
1: Absolutely. And you, and you mentioned that again, I want to keep emphasizing this video. I loved it. I watched it over the weekend on um, over on established around the 10 tips. It's so well clean organized, I think about 15 minutes, and you just hit so many awesome points. So if you're tuning into this show, make sure you catch that clip as well. It's fantastic. You mentioned in that as well, You you always are trying to avoid this running back dead zone, or you know, these trap running backs historically. What is this running back dead zone? What should owners be making sure they're avoiding here?
2: Yeah, this has become kind of a popular buzzword uh, this offseason, and it's kind of that idea I was just talking about with the late first round running backs, early second round, where we're kind of um, projecting them um, on paper, and they look good. So we're talking a lot about guys like Mike Davis, where it's like, hey, Who's going to compete with him for touches? Like, if you're doing projections, he's going to check out well because you're just not mm-hmm. going to give a ton of targets and catches to a UDFA, Javian Hawkins, or a Quadre Allison. But um, these guys have proven to be in this range, the most volatile, in the most fragile. We see things throughout the season, other guys emerge. And so, what we really want to be doing is not necessarily betting on volume in that range, but really betting on talent. And you know, the one kind of exception we normally see to the dead zone are these rookie running backs, guys like Mm ETN, Javante Williams, who actually have the prospect profile to really smash down the stretch. And sure, it might take a little while because they're rookies, but they actually have the physical talent and the production profile from college to do that. So I think the dead zone is just a reminder that the wide receivers are going to be the better bets there. That does not mean a running back can't smash. David Montgomery smashed down the stretch last year. He was a dead zone running back. It can happen. But when you look at the chart, Rotoviz has a great chart. Basically, after the first couple picks, until like around 12, the wide receivers outscore the running backs, just on average. So you're always making a suboptimal pick if you're drafting a running back. But obviously we have to draft running backs at some point. So it's like, where are the best times to do that? Well, at the top of the draft, maybe later in the draft, once the elite wide receivers are off the board. So that's kind of the, you know, the push pull that we're always wrestling with. Absolutely. And, and speaking of later in the draft,
1: so you've mentioned your your optimal lineups, typically have been your zero RBs. That's the strategy you lean towards the most. So when you do that, you know, when are you first targeting running backs and who are some guys that you are most often landing with that?
2: Yeah, there's, because I've now done a bunch of drafts on underdog and it's a little different like in FFPC for managed leagues because it, it does skew a little more running back heavy there, but on underdog, I I like thinking them as detours. Like I want to be drafting these pass catchers, even the elite onesie position. So where am I taking my detours for running back? I do like taking it for the rookies, Williams, Mm -hmm. ETN there, Kareem Hunt has been falling. I like the detour there. And one thing I should also mention because the dead zone conversation has become so prevalent, there are actually dead zone running backs that I'm taking because Chris Carson, I got him in the late fifth of a draft the other day. And you'll see, I just did a draft where I was at 512 and he went, Miles Sanders went at 511. Like I'm taking him there every time. So the further that these guys get pushed down, the more willing I am to take them. But the next pocket after those rookies, I would say is I'm often grabbing uh, like a Trey Sermon or Raheem Mostert. I like those guys a lot. And then there's another pocket like the Zach Moss, Ronald Jones, and then the real sweet spot is after that. There's the Tony Pollard. There was the Darrell Henderson. He was my fourth highest owned running back because he was often my second or third running back. I was taking in my zero RB build. So there's a lot of nice pockets and then you can move further back in the draft and if you do need to just get some production, you have your James Whites, your J.G. McKissicks, your Geo Bernards that you know are going to catch a decent amount of passes. Naheem Hines is another guy I draft a lot. So I like thinking of it as the pockets of the draft where I take the yeah. detours and what is the type of production they're going to give me?
1: Yeah, I love that. You know, you're getting your earlier guys that maybe early in the season you could bank on some guys in case there's an injury like a Pollard that, you know, would explode and really uh vaunt while you're waiting for that upside to hit, you got those earlier guys, plus the pass catchers as well that can balance that out. The Gio Bernards, the James Whites who will always be getting you that that 10-11 point floor ceiling. Like there's not much to them. I like that. It is a whole different variance to what you're targeting. Typically, how many running backs do you draft within Um, you, you know, your best ball rosters, is it different if you've gone that anchor running back versus if you're going pure zero or how does that work in terms of how many you slot in for your teams?
2: Yeah, I push it a little bit to the extremes, but I would say in general, if I draft a running back early, like say I get, um, let's say an Antonio Gibson. And then I even grab one of those rookies, like a Javante Williams, I'm stopping at four. Uh, I think most people are still probably going five there in my zero RB builds. I'm generally going five. Um, I did do a draft with Zach Kruger from Rotoviz this morning where we didn't get our first running back until I think it was Damian Harris pretty late in like the Mm -hmm. eighth or ninth. And we ended up going six running backs on that just because we had done so many wide receivers early. So I would say. Um, I'm generally between four to six with how I build on that hyper fragile team. I mentioned with Christian McCaffrey, Najee and Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, I actually only did three, um, with the whole idea being like, I have three studs. I got two running back slots on underdog in the flex. If this team is going to work out, all three of these guys are going to smash. What is, a, what good is a JD McKissick doing me in this lineup? Like, I don't need his points. I'm getting the ceiling points from these guys. So yeah, anywhere between three to six, depending on that structure.
1: Love it. Yeah. And just to, before we move to other positions and looking at ADP, just to reiterate a great point you made in that, that video on establish the run, uh, the teams that took zero running backs early were two, you know, six total or seven total was zero early were two of the highest percent wins, 15% league win and 12%. So 27% league percent by zero early running backs that's a huge edge with very very few teams employing that only 233 and 166 teams did zero RB yet they they beat the field at 27 percent high rate so that, that's important to note too the stats back the strategy up as tricky as it can be I'm a, I'm a running back guy so I, I have a very hard time when I'm trying to build these rosters of not going running back running back running back that Clyde Edwards Hilaire one you just you know raved about That's my type of build, but the stats don't necessarily improve that. So I'm doing my best, as you mentioned, diversify the portfolio, force myself into some of these zero running back builds. Uh, and It's very interesting to see how they come out. So
0: I would say
2: too, like it, I, it's just the way I prefer building. But one of those tips that were in there is like, you can draft running backs early. It is completely okay. How Justin Herzik won best ball mania. And yeah. it's how Justin's still drafting now. Like, you know, you got guys like me and Eric Bein for, and some of us are really pushing like the zero RB to the max, but uh, Justin's still drafting three running backs early in almost mm-hmm. all of his builds. So um, the sharpest players are still doing it. But the point we made in the video is you can draft them early but you can't draft them early and often. Like once you draft those three, you can't draft more than one more because you have to work under the assumption that you crushed it with those three picks. And now you need to make up for wide receiver with the amount of wide receivers you're taking. Yeah, that
1: makes perfect sense. Absolutely. And you mentioned that the the best ball ADP is changing right now, right? So a lot of people are recognizing the optimal builds involve this type of zero RB or modified zero RB approaches and receivers are are shooting up the draft board. In fact, in your video, you mentioned the top 100 of ADP, 30 largest risers were all receivers and the 20 largest followers were all running backs. That's insane. Uh, So how do we adjust from there? Do we change our philosophy or do we just have to hammer it even harder at the wide receiver position?
2: Yeah. And that's where, you know, where I've completely opened up to drafting guys like Swift when he falls 20 picks past ADP, Miles Sanders, you know, Chris Carson, those are guys that are kind of falling in that, you know, quote unquote dead zone that. Become very palatable. And what I like doing is just like, okay, say I was going to build a team where, say, I go Stephon Diggs and Antonio Gibson as my second round pick. Um, I, I like that start. And then I'm going to use Antonio Gibson as my anchor, go away from it, draft a bunch of wide receivers, come back. I might just treat that fourth or fifth round running back as my anchor. You might say, Well, Pete, you draft him the fourth, fifth round, it can't be your anchor. But it's like, if I'm going to take a stab on Chris Carson or Miles Sanders, I'm assuming they smash. So why wouldn't they be valued similarly to where I drafted Antonio Gibson? So I like pushing it and I'll be like, all right, Chris Carson's my anchor. I'm going to grab three more to go around him and just build a really fragile team working under the assumption that Chris Carson finishes as a top five running back. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's adjusting
1: in that way, allowing the draft to still kind of fall to you. Even if you have your mindsets, you have your data, you know, all that you can still Allow the draft to come to you in that sense. If Carson, I can't get over that value. Fifth round, Chris Carson. I mean, this guy was top ten for every single game he played essentially last year. And you're getting him that late. That's that's wild stuff. I haven't encountered a value quite like that in my
2: draft. So let's
1: say I needed to be doing more. How many have you done at this point?
2: <laughs> I have done I'm I'm closing in on 200 drafts. Um they had the puppy, which was the $5 one. And I wanted to max it, uh, but it filled too fast. I think I only ended up getting 90 to 95 in there. And then the best ball mania, that's gonna still roll on here, probably getting close to the season. So I just kind of, you know, trucking away in the slow drafts, a couple fast drafts, and we're gonna inch our way to 150 here. I love it. I love it. Uh, you also
1: mentioned in your, your video, and this is kind of a commonplace practice, is stacking. Um, a lot of anybody who's played DFS knows the importance. Essentially, it's evolved to the point of double stacking in daily fantasy rather than just the single stack being necessary in so many ways and game stacking and all that good stuff. but just for anybody that might be newer to it, you know what is stacking? and is there any type of like misconceptions about stacking that you're seeing like is it only quarterbacks
2: or how do how do you view stacking in best ball? is it as necessary as it is with DFs? so i I do think same I, I do think there's lots of parallels to DFs where like, if you and me were just playing a head-to-head on DraftKings, like stacking isn't imperative, right? We're just trying to get the most Mm -hmm. points in our lineup. But if we're trying to win a large field tournament, um, the way I always thought about it for DFS is, say on DraftKings you have nine slots. You're basically trying to hit a nine-leg parlay because you want each one of those spots to be right. Well, what helps us not have to get nine individual things right? Maybe we're only having to get five or six. So if I'm drafting DeAndre Hopkins – I'm assuming he's going to go nuclear in this game. So if he goes nuclear, who else is going to have a good game? Obviously, Kyler Murray, because he's going to be throwing those passes. So that's just the general concept of stacking, in that Mm. it allows us to be right without having to get a bunch of individual things right. Of course, you could draft Jalen Hurts, and he could have a great game this week, and then DeAndre could also have a great game but it's uncorrelated and it's harder to match those pieces up. So stacking just makes it easier for us to match those up. And the way that the underdog best ball mania tournament is structured, basically weeks one through 14, we're in our individual 12 man league, the top two teams advance. Then there's two more smaller tournaments after that. So you're in the group with all of the winners from one through 14, those top two teams advance to another one. And then there's the final week 17 where you have about, I believe it's one ninety to 200 teams in that. And then you're trying to get first out of 200 teams. So yeah. think about it like this. If you got to the finals of the best ball mania and they said, guess what? You get to pick out your own roster for week 17. Everyone else has to use their best ball roster, but you get to pick one out. You'd probably build the DFS lineup, right? You'd be like, wow, Dallas is playing Arizona. I'm going to do a Dak Prescott double stack, and I'm going to bring it back with Chase Edmonds or something like that. So that's how I'm approaching this tournament as I'm saying, yes, it's really hard to get to week 17, but if I get there, how can I give myself the best chance to win?
1: And speaking of that, you you mentioned using strength of schedule as one of your your big tips in order to gain. And we're again, we're talking about large field. I'm sure some of our strategies might change if we're talking only about a 12-teamer, then that's it, things of that nature. You know, we're talking about going against hundreds of thousands here, uh, when we're talking this the strategy. But how much does it factor in for you, the strength of schedule? Are you looking ahead when you're drafting to those playoff weeks? And if so, are you looking even to the point of like Games that you just mentioned, you know, the Cardinals and the Cowboys. Are you, if you draft a lot of Cardinals, looking to get some Cowboys on your roster? Are you going to that far? Are you doing single team stacks? You know, how, how are you using strength of schedule to then build your stacks and look forward to the playoffs?
2: Yeah, I am looking at my schedule for this best ball mania. And again, I think the thing that people have to realize too, is this is an extremely top heavy price. pool. would I be upset if I got second place for $200,000? No, but all of the money is up top. It's a million dollars first. So we are trying to get first place. And so I do really think that that week 17 correlation is one of the ways to do it. Now, I mentioned this in the video. I am not sacrificing multiple rounds. Like if I have Kyler Murray and I got my Zeke share, I'm not taking Rondell Moore in the ninth just so I can stack this all up. I'm still trying to get values. I'm still trying to draft relative to the market ADP and then using it as tiebreakers. And I'll push it a little bit. Maybe if I have all of this Dallas, Arizona stack set up, I will take Rondell Moore at pick 110 instead of pick 120. But I'm not blowing up my teams just to build this because again, you still do have to get there because you need to get the most possible points for week one through 14 and then in week 15 and then in week 16 just to get there. So you basically need a loaded team and every time you reach for players, you're sacrificing that ability to get a loaded team. So I'm trying to have my cake and eat it too, but I do find it to be the best possible tiebreaker for this large field tournament. Absolutely.
1: And is there any other teams, you mentioned those two, Arizona, Dallas. I mean, that game's going to be, assuming Dak and Kyler make it to there, that obviously is going to have some fireworks. Is there any other teams that you're looking at that have very strong playoff schedules and you're targeting them?
2: Yeah, so I would say, you you know, everyone's kind of hip to Arizona and Dallas. Um, The other one I think people are pretty hip to is San Francisco. They're at home versus Atlanta and at home versus Houston, weeks 15 and 17. So they're going to be able to tee off on those guys. The one under the radar team that I like a lot is the Colts. They're home versus New England. They're at Arizona and then home versus Las Vegas. And so the nice thing is those are either, you know, two dome games at home and then a dome game at Arizona Mm – all should be relatively friendly environments. And I do think in general, people are sleeping a little bit on the Colts. I think people just have kind of this stench around Carson Wentz, just remembering how bad he was. But I think this could be a real good bounce back spot for them. Great running game, great offensive line, Paris Campbell's healthy, Michael Pittman emerging as a second year wide receiver. And then the schedule aligns as well. So the Colts are kind of one of the sneaky teams when I uh, have to get that third running back, fourth running back, I'm grabbing Naheem Hines. When I need that second quarterback, uh, I'm grabbing Carson Wentz a lot of the time.
1: I like that a lot. They, I believe, have the fourth highest weekly total uh, in Vegas, uh, implied total. And and I think Taylor's the only one going within the first 10 rounds of drafts right now. So that definitely is a team. Is, they don't seem sexy, but there is Vegas thinks they're sexier than we do. And, and the playoff schedule suggests they'll be sexier than we think they are. So I like that team a lot uh, in terms of an under-the-radar one, for sure. So we've talked a lot about running backs and receivers and, and how we approach that, but what about the onesies? And we'll start with the quarterback position. Are you finding yourself, after a year, we saw the quarterback position kind of revolutionized to five or six guys were almost winning all the Millie makers in DFS, uh, and they're the top six guys going in fantasy drafts right now. Do you find yourself, best ball-wise, going after those big six more often, or are you still going more late round quarterback? How are you approaching that position?
2: Yeah, it's tough. I feel like I've, I've been in like a tale of two draft seasons in that early on, I was, super prioritizing the onesie positions just because I liked how my team looked. I was grabbing Darren Waller, George Kittle at the two, three turn. I was grabbing Kyler to stack with nuke Josh Allen to stack with Diggs, Dak to stack with Steedy or Amari. Like I, I loved how my teams looked, and I still like that construction. I still think if I had one draft, like I did the underdog industry draft and I, I drafted very similar to, to that grabbing Waller early, but I wanted to spread out my exposures. And one of the things is, is because wide receivers are flying off the shelves so much, there's now an opportunity cost to taking a tight end in the second or taking a wide receiver or a a quarterback in the fifth, because what happens is at the end of drafts, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I don't mind these tight ends. I got the Patriots tight ends. I got uh, even Austin Hooper. And I know these aren't like super sexy names, but like these are viable guys that are going to see the field and same with quarterback. Like, I've been drafting a ton of DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. I'm like, Sam Darnold is set up to have a solid year. He's basically free. So I'm I'm reverse engineering it in my head. Okay, well, now I'm not taking the Darnold and these tight ends because I've gone elite early. And so I wanted to switch up my strategy a little bit. And so I have been just going pure wide receiver through five rounds, knowing like I'll grab a couple tight ends late. I'll grab two or three quarterbacks late. And I don't mind pushing it. Like this morning with Zach, I did uh, the two guys I mentioned. I did a Carson Wentz and Sam Darnold team. And I think we even tacked on big Ben where you get Mm. to those things. And it's like all of these running backs and wide receivers are true dart throws, but like we know what we're getting from those quarterbacks. So again, it goes back to that thing of, I don't think there's any one, strategy that is like the answer. Like I think the onesie positions have probably a slightly higher win rate. But again, when we talk about win rates, we're talking about one to 2% differences here. Like we're living on the margins trying to find these edges. And so I don't want to put all my eggs in one single basket, even if it's a slightly better bet than another construction.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You mentioned so. You mentioned you like your Darnold, Wentz, some guys that you're getting for free. Is there any other quarterbacks you found yourself gravitating towards that maybe do have that that upside to join the Kyler Murrays, the Dax? You know, I, I don't think we're going to see Sam Darnold or Carson Wentz. Who knows? Maybe they have this ridiculous rebound year. Uh, but is there anybody maybe not quite as late as those guys uh, that you see having that upside to maybe join those elite potentially?
2: Yeah. So. I would say, like in general, it's it's the rookie quarterbacks, and you know, there's the tier of the Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. They're getting a little pricey on underdog. You know, when I made that video, they were all going after pick 120. Lance is starting to creep up into I think like pick 115, 116. I like those guys a lot. Um, And then the even cheaper uh, of the rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson, is going mm. late. And one thing I like about Zach Wilson, and I feel he's a little underrated, is. He's going to start week one. Like we don't necessarily know when Trey Lance and Justin Fields are going to start. And I like the weapons they have. Like, I think their wide receiver core bringing in Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, even Keelan Cole's going to be fine. And Elijah Moore, who they draft is exciting. And this guy can run. He has a big arm. I think he's going to be fun for fantasy. And I'm not, I don't think he's going to be like the Josh Allen, Justin Herbert kind of breakout, but I think he can be a poor man's version of that. And it's just really hard to find Upside super late in drafts. Um, so yeah, I, I think Zach uh, I think Zach Wilson and Sam Darnold are two of my kind of favorite later round guys. Yeah, I, I love the Wilson call too. I think he might be my highest owned and exposed player
1: at this point just because I, I've i been landing Elijah Moore who's probably my highest owned receiver at this point almost every round. It used to be like round 14, 15 in early drafts. Now it's all the way up to like 9 or 10 it seems. Even then I'm still buying him there. So it's a good way to complete the stack a nice cheap option with a little bit of leg power there. I love the Wilson call as well. Uh, And and it's kind of the same strategy it seems to apply to tight end, so I don't think we have to dive in too much. Opportunity cost is high with all these teams going so big at wide receiver right now. Um, But in terms of targets, is there any targets that you have right now when you're you're forgoing the tight end position, if you don't get your Waller, your Kelsey, your elite guy, because you want to load up receivers, is there any guys you do find yourself landing
2: more often than not? Yeah, I'm trying to think again. I've been trying to. I Kittle was like one of my highest owned guys early on because uh, I was like, why isn't the market value higher? I kept taking him, taking him. I was like, all right, we do need to just chill out a little bit. Um, I've been trying to get a little more pits lately. Uh, both Hawkinson and Mark Andrews are available at the five, six turn every time. So yeah. if I'm there and I don't have a tight end, um, one thing in general with like zero RB is. I want to be able to crush at all other positions other than running back to pull that off. So if I'm going through zero RB, I do want to make sure I have one of the big three, Pitts, Hawkinson, or Andrews. Yeah. So I'll do that. And then I generally don't like fully punting tight end. Like I'll, I'll grab uh, a Noah Fant, a Mike Gusecki, uh Logan Thomas, and uh, Higby that. would be the other guys around like rounds nine through 11. Um, I've done a few where I grab like, Austin Hooper, uh, Hunter Henry, and Mo Alley-Cox. I just don't like using three spots on a onesie Mm -hmm. position when I can help it. So I really like to be like, who are the guys I can get away with with only going two? Um, And I feel like if I get one of those guys from rounds nine through 11, I just mentioned that it allows me to only draft two total.
1: Absolutely. And the the last overarching question I have is, at DFS you hear so often you have to be contrarian if you're going to win these big field tournaments. Um, you have to be different. Ken, it's a lot harder to be different though in best ball, you know, especially when you get to that last, you mentioned week 17. If you're part of that top, top 200, it's a good chance there's a lot of the same players within those same top 200 teams getting the owners there. So I'm sure it's still important to be contrarian, but how do we pull that off? What are some of your favorite ways to be contrarian in best ball?
2: Yeah, because I, I think about myself, whether you're using ADP or whether you're uploading in your own rankings, you you see the same guys at the end of the draft at the, every time over and over. Yeah. And you're like, well, in our we're I think we're biologically wired to want to draft the best available guys. So we're like, oh, right, he's the guy that slipped on ADP or he's the guy highest in the ranks. The problem is, is that's a that's an issue, like in the fourth or fifth round. You want the best guy, but all of these guys are what? Let's just say a two percent chance of being a league winner in the 18th yeah. round. So we want to spread our bets around and kind of my hack lately is I mentioned the correlation, the stacking is I'm trying to find who's maybe that fourth wide receiver on a team that's not getting drafted by anyone, but one could maybe play his way into being the wide receiver three. Or if an injury happened, could immediately step in and be in three wide receiver sets. So generally what I'm doing, I'm looking at my quarterback, you know, say a good example today, like, and I don't even love this per se, but it's this idea. I had Tua and we had drafted Waddle, obviously Perry, uh, Perryman, uh Parker and Fuller are gone. Well, what if there's an injury to one of those guys? Preston Williams, we know can probably step in and be the third guy. So I took him as a dart throw and I've been doing that a lot. The Jags are another example. Um, if, Visca, Chark, and Marvin Jones, if one of those guys were to get hurt, and none of those guys have been a picture of health either, Colin Johnson looked yeah. good last year. And then yeah. one final one like that, a Travis Fulgham. You know, everyone is is hyped on, on Rager and Devonta Smith and stuff, but Fulgham could just be in three wide receiver sets. He also looked good. So I'm trying to use my stacks and just get a little creative, go a little bit further down in the draft applet, and those guys aren't going to be unowned. Like Teams are going to have them, but not at the same rate. That like the last available guy in the ADP is going to be because people just naturally select them a bunch.
1: Yeah, one guy that fits that bill that you're describing that I've been landing a bit lately is uh, is Keelan Cole, who's currently <laughs> right now running as the third receiver ahead of Mims. And I, and I get Mims has the better profile, all that stuff. But I'm getting the guy that is actually on paper the third receiver right now for my Zach Wilson stacks, which I've already had. It. He's he's a kind of receiver that fits the bill that you're talking about. I like a lot. And I'm still, last night, I was surprised to see Xavier Jones, Xavier Jones, whatever his name is, the the second string running back as of right now for the Rams. He seems to be falling to the last two or three rounds in every draft as well uh, as of right now. Who knows if that will stay the case as training camp and buzz grows. But, you know, as a way to differentiate, and I kind of actually wanted to move over to this Cam Akers news, the the best ball fallout. You know, The news definitely impacts best ball drafters in, in much different ways than it will redrafters how are you approaching it? You said you had a lot of Henderson, which is awesome, but you had a huge advantage compared to the field right now. What about me drafting today? Should I be, you know, now that Henderson's going to be a better player, should I be looking at him? I've seen a lot of sharp people saying you should be avoiding him now. You know, how are you approaching news when it hits in best ball like this? Uh, if such as Cam Akers. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it, I think it has to do with when you are drafting. So like the second the Darrell Henderson news breaks, the Cam Akers news, I think that's a very, very bad time to go draft uh, Darrell Henderson in the fourth round or whatever, because you're competing against all these other drafts where everyone has basically the exact same amount of information as you, except this one new piece of information. So the team I'm going to draft is probably going to look a lot like the team I drafted a month ago, because not that much has changed minus the Cam Akers thing. However... How about a week before the season? Think about all the things. Even since the Cam Akers, we had the Michael Thomas news. Now let's stockpile seven, eight of those, let's say, fantasy bombshells. All of a sudden, we're in this entirely new landscape where everyone's drafting with entirely new information. And so, yes, someone might have, like me, I might have a bunch of Darrell Henderson in the 11th, but I guarantee you there's some of those teams that are going to have Michael Thomas on it. Some of those are going to have a quarterback that's going to get hurt. And so those teams aren't going to look good. And eventually, I think the pendulum swings back where it is going to be okay to draft Darrell Henderson at whatever we think his true value is. I, I think, you know, if they don't sign a veteran, let's say I would feel comfortable taking him like in the fifth round around those you know, areas where Mike Davis and Miles Gaskin are going. Um, I'm not going to not take him late in August if I think there's been enough of an information shakeup yeah. to where the the drafts are just so much different than they were before. Yeah, that makes, that
1: makes perfect sense. And, and one last kind of ball to drop, one bomb to drop here is Deshaun Watson. And it seems like lately that he probably won't be playing for the Texans, but he's at least reporting. If he's going to be suspended for a full year, half year, whoever, whoever knows, but he still also goes, you know, within the last round or two of your drafts. Do you consider him kind of a trap pick or is he somebody you've, how are you approaching Deshaun Watson right now?
2: Yeah. You know, it's this news just came out this morning. I was writing the fantasy life newsletter. So I was reading up on it. You know, the Texans now asking for, uh, they want five total picks, three of them being first rounders. It does seem pretty steep, uh, for a guy who is in his situation, all of the allegations and misconduct stuff is still pending right now. So I haven't been touching him. Um, that said, I could see sprinkling him in as like a third quarterback, kind of similar to what I was doing with Taysom Hill. Like if you get the Winston and Darnold and you want to add like just a little bit of upside there with a the third quarterback because of your build, I think Watson's fine. But I'm probably just going to approach it as I'm going to wait and see how things shake out. Um, and then I'll probably start thinking about my stack stuff. But I don't know. I think I like building with stacks so much that it's hard for me to draft these mm-hmm. quarterbacks where I don't know where they're going to be.
1: Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. Wait and see approach there. Um, all right, Pete. Well, I do want to move into, we have our know how to lined up in a little bit, uh, but like last year, you know, as a lot of the audience might not know is you, you used to, you know, I don't know if you, do you still do improv at all? Are you involved in that? No, um, but you Just were online in the improv game for a bit and I still think, you know, to the, it's very niche comedy, but I, I love your stuff it cracks me up and i think anybody tuning into this show would share it. so do you have time if i give you you know one or two potential improvs to jump yeah. on? let's do awesome. it. Uh, the, the first one I, i'm excited to hear your impression of him. Uh, this is a pretty more specific than just a general guy but scott hansen he's holding a full bladder but there's an absolutely ballistic witching hour going off how do we see this one unfolding
0: <laughs> oh folks we are about to go to the quad box right now the quad box right now we got the action flying it is the witching hour folks god i love this game we are here commercial free eight hours and holy cow we got the ravens in the red zone we got the lions in the red zone good god we got the cowboys in the red zone as well and the pot pu- oh my god they're settling for a field goal change the change the thing change the thing um I I am going to have to go. I know I say, I know I say I'm generally good. I know I say I've never had to go, but I do actually have to go. Someone, someone do this for me. I can't do it anymore. Love it.
1: (laughs) I love it. Oh, <laughs> that, that, that was fantastic. Hold on, there's the exit board. Fantastic. Uh, a few. I had a bunch written down, but it is such a tricky culture right now to uh, dive into too many. There's a, a few I want to send you away to see if you'd ever do them. Uh, one that's not as controversial, though, and I love every year you always have your rookie guy releases his rankings. One of my favorite videos. I just nail it. Such on the head. But what happens when rookie guy gets sniped in the draft? He has Jamar Chase queued up right in round four, and he gets
0: picked ahead of him. This is ridiculous. What? What, are the, what is, you can't take Jamar Chase there, okay? Jamar Chase falls to this spot every single time. He goes at 102. You're going to take him at 101 over Najee Harris? I mean, we're talking about projectable volume. Do I love Jamar Chase more than anything? Of course, but you can't take him at 101. He is supposed to be for me. At 102, you don't know how to play dynasty. You're a donkey. I've been playing for 25 years. I got three and a half championships. Yes, I did. One of them ended in a tie, and we didn't have fractional scoring. So I did split one of my championships. But the point is, I've won three and a half the past 20 years, and Jamar Chase should be mine.
1: Love it. Absolutely love it. Fantastic stuff, as always, Pete. Well, let's run you right now through the rapid huddle. I think if you remember last year, the no huddle offense, I give you 20 burning fast questions. Uh, and you just answer them to the you know the player that comes to mind or whatever pops in your mind, rapid fire. Ready for it? Yeah, let's do it. righty. In order, the first three picks in every 2021 draft should be?
2: Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, uh, Dalvin Cook, and in a perfectly efficient market, let's say Travis Kelsey. I was just
1: going to say, Travis Kelsey should go no later than pick number.
2: Uh, he shouldn't go any later than pick uh, seven. The
1: next Mahomes Lamar Josh Allen will be Trey Lance. Who's the veteran who gained the most value this
2: offseason? It has to be Mike uh Mike Davis, I think. Agreed. The veteran who lost the most value this offseason. Man, um this one's kind of tough. Uh I don't I I feel like TY Hilton just keeps falling and falling from where he was getting drafted last year. The rookie 101 should be Jamar Chase. <laughs> The biggest rookie flop will be Najee Harris.
1: Who's the current NFL player you hate the most?
2: Uh, Probably Leonard Fournette.
1: (laughs) The mid-rounder that ascends to 2022 early rounds.
2: Uh, T. Higgins.
1: Free agent who you think crushes in his new home. His new home. Uh, Let's say Julio Jones. Early rounder, one or two that busts the hardest.
2: Ezekiel Elliott. A late round league winning
1: running back, wide receiver, or tight end?
2: Uh, running back, AJ Dillon, wide receiver, uh, Rashad Bateman, tight end, uh, Mo Alley Cox. What's the most important training camp story or battle you're monitoring? Ooh, this is a good one. Like all of the ones I'm moderating are like really fringe things. Like I want to know between Malcolm Brown and Savon Ahmed uh, behind them, but what would out, what will actually be an interesting one? Um, I, man, to say most important, but let's go with, uh, Denzel Mims versus Keelan Cole. It's, it's definitely not the most important, but I do think that's another very interesting one.
1: It really is sophomore running back that you want the most and least.
2: Uh, AJ Dillon is, is up there. I, I definitely want a bunch of AJ, AJ Dillon, uh, the least gosh, I'm blanking it. Tell me some sophomore running backs now. Uh, there's, I mean, James Robinson's a popular, yes, yeah, yeah, there you go. James Robinson. I'm, I'm <laughs> out on James Robinson. I haven't, I think I've drafted him like once on underdog.
1: Yeah. I think we got some news on this right before we went live here, but, uh, do you think Aaron Rodgers is going to
2: leave green Bay? If, uh, Rob reports, correct. No. Uh, yeah. so yeah, it sounds like he's coming back. Exactly. So
1: well, I guess this one becomes would you still take Devontae Adams first if Rogers is back? And if not, who might be able to take over him?
2: I still prefer Diggs and Tyreek, uh, slightly. Uh, but I, I think Devontae Adams now is is right back there with that trio.
1: Nice. Who's the player you'd least like to fight?
2: Oh my God. Um I I bet Derrick Henry would just snap me in half.
1: But <laughs> good bet for sure. Uh your most intriguing coaching hire of twenty twenty
2: one. Um, I don't know Uh, what, maybe Arthur Smith. Uh, I think that's a popular one. I think that could be interesting. Absolutely. And who's
1: someone you won't leave your 2021 drafts without taking?
2: Well, apparently Naheem Hines. Uh, but that's not (laughs) that fun right now. I believe my most owned wide receiver on underdog is DJ Moore. So let's say, uh, DJ Moore. Love
1: it. And your boldest 2021 fantasy football
2: prediction. Wow. Okay. Let's go with... Let's see. I did one of these a couple years ago, or it was last year. And I think I said Christian Kirk would outscore DeAndre Hopkins. And that was just (laughs) an absolute disaster. Um, Let's try this again though. Let's say Rondell Moore outscores DeAndre Hopkins.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) Going back to the well for that one. I love it. I just had to switch up the player. Yes, exactly. And I always like to wrap up with just a couple names to shout out. Who do you consider the, the role model for you in this industry?
2: Um, I would consider, uh, I mean, I just, I'm now going to be working with, uh, ETR and, uh, Levitan has been a guy that I would read his blurbs back when I was in college playing fantasy basketball. So, uh, following Adam along this whole time, I just feel like he does everything right has a great mixture of information and entertainment and, uh, bringing the levity and, uh, and yet the good stuff. So I'll, I'll say Levitan, but don't, don't clip this and tell him I said this.
1: <laughs> we'll keep it under the radar for sure. What about in terms of under the radar? Uh, who do you think's a fantasy sleeper that, that might not have the following they deserve at, at right now, but someone you love following.
2: Ooh, underrated fantasy analyst to follow. So yeah, there's so many good ones. I mean, Eric Bime for started to make some more waves this season. Mm -hmm. He's always been one of like the sharpest DFS players. And now he's all in, uh, on, um, on best ball too. And his stuff is so good. Um, I'm always biased. Uh, I'm trying to think underrated. You know what? I love, I love my road of his guys, uh, Hassan and Blair, uh, Blair Andrews, right now, is cranking out these incredible research articles over at RotoViz. And, you know, the RotoViz guys are always kind of quiet and shy on Twitter, so they don't get as much of a splash. So I'll, I'll say Blair and, and Sean and all the RotoViz guys. Awesome. And we'll f- finally wrap up with your
1: reminder of where people can find you, your work, interact with you, anything else you want to shout out.
2: Yeah, um, like you were listing off, I'm doing all kinds (laughs) of stuff. Um, I do write Matthew Berry's uh, newsletter that's in your inbox uh, three days a week, and we'll be ramping up to uh, six or seven days a week here once the season starts. So you can that's a free newsletter. Um, And then yeah, I'm just doing shows all the time right now. I'm in best ball in drafting mode, and once the season starts, we'll kind of shift over into full on DFS mode. And then yeah, if you're into kind of uh, the NFT stuff, I'm also doing a Club Top Shot. Uh, doing the top shot and covering that world as well. So we're staying busy. Awesome, Pete. Well,
1: thank you so, so much for taking the time today. I know it's starting to get busy with training camps opening and everything this week. So really, really appreciate it. Look forward to uh, meeting you on Sunday too. we got a big draft lined up. So looking forward to that as well, my man. Have a great rest of your Monday.
2: Yeah, we'll see you uh, at the draft.
1: Absolutely. See you, Pete. Thanks again. Peace. All righty and Wolf Beck. You can find all our content over at rotostreetgeneral.com. We breed and feed you fantasy wolves. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. You can find my stuff at RotoStreetWolf. Uh, have a great rest. Of- oh, we got a few questions. So why don't we uh, make sure we get to these as well? It looks like our classics, Mitch Chavez, Wolf on the Grind. Have a great day, guys. Absolutely. Van Deventer, Venter, wide receiver, RB, wide receiver, QB is how I like picking. That's the, the flow you like. I can see that. I really, especially if you can get Waller there in round two, I love it. Um, and, you know, he, he mentioned Van Deventer, that dead zone kind of is where that fourth running back is. So I'm being a little more leery of that. I find myself often going running back, running back, seven straight receivers, then maybe like a Higby or something at tight end uh, for sure. That's kind of how I have it lining up. Jim Cee, what's going on, man? Thanks for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. What's the best QB wide receiver stack coming in the season, in your opinion? And what, uh, why? If is it hard to do a top five? Ah, uh, that's a that's an interesting one there, Andres. I mean, obviously, you know, Rogers and, and Adams is pretty tough to top. You can look at all those elite guys, Mahomes and Tyree Kill. So that that would be an easy one. Diggs and Allen, like those three, are the elite. You don't need me to point that out to you. So maybe an underrated stack. Who's somebody I I really love? The one that I'm getting the most, I guess, might be a better way to reframe this, is I'm getting Terry McLaurin and Ryan Fitzpatrick a lot. I love where Terry goes in round three. I almost always land him right there in mid to late round three. And Fitzpatrick I have on every single team. So those two are typically going to be there. I also like combining them with Logan Thomas at his prices as well, or Curtis Samuel, the eight to 10 range, you're getting one of those guys and having like a double stack. I really think Fitzpatrick's going to take that offense that ranked top eight in pass attempts, top eight in pace last year, even with the ultra conservative Alex Smith behind center. Now you give them a gunslinger and we see what happens. Uh, so that's the stack I end up with the most, uh, but obviously you know, there's better ones. That's the most common one. It's tough to do these top five ones to you're burning, uh, you know, a a round four pick on Allen and a round two pick on Diggs. Well, I I like doing that. If I get Diggs in round two, I might be more likely to burn my fourth pick on an Allen and complete the stack, but it is tricky. It's a high opportunity cost, a high uh, price to pay to get those guys' bathroom break, nice improvs. He is the best on his feet, in my opinion. Uh, James Robinson, even though he was just a rookie, is my biggest follower. I agree as well. Yeah, Dylan, uh, you know, he's not getting a ton of love, but Aaron Jones is not uh, injury-free back. He's got a history there. So I like that Dylan called too. someone that's not on the radar a lot. Mitch saying been getting that newsletter. Uh, thanks, Peter. Oh, I wish I, I'll pass it along to him in the DMS after we uh, hang up here. Diggs Adams Hill. Who's your number one? Well, if it's Rogers, if Rogers is back, I can't go against Adams after what he did, especially this like last dance narrative. Uh, I like that. <laughs> you know, if he's going to come to the Packers, but for one more year, you know he's going to be chasing for records. And you know he's going to be trying to get his boy Adams some records who didn't really have all that much of any competition added this offseason. So give me give me uh, Adams at the top, assuming Roger's is there. Now, if he's not, I like Diggs. Uh, I think Diggs just does exactly what he did last year. Uh, now, oh, return yards and TDs are counted. So Hill's the only one that has any of that upside. He doesn't play a ton of those anymore. Uh, a couple of years ago, he would have been ridiculous in that type of format. You're still gonna get some emergency, like must-win game situations where they put Hill back there to, to try to change the game, though. So if you're if you have that scoring thing, that might be the only reason I would have hills above Hill above either of these two guys. But yeah, I probably would in these settings. And we talked to John Daigle a few weeks ago, Mitch. Um, I don't know if you saw that one, the best ball one. He made a really good point about Hill, like. It hasn't even hit his ceiling. There was a stretch run for the, the last few weeks where Hill was finally being targeted like a true alpha, and he was putting up like 40 points. It was insane, right? What if that happens all year? It's not without the realm of possibility, especially with Watkins now gone too. I, it's, you're really picking hairs here, assuming that Rogers back is Adams. But if I'm drafting today, I'm not 100% guaranteed to have those guys back. It would probably be Diggs, in my opinion. In that scoring setting, it's probably Hill. So, d- Non answer to that question, essentially, most likely Adams, if all said done when you're drafting, uh, but in digs in most leagues in your setting, though, I would probably do Hill. Yeah, it was a great stretch, right? Like, so there is a ceiling to Hill. Not everyone's like, oh, he's got the biggest ceiling in the game without acknowledging if he ever becomes a true alpha. The games we've seen that from have been absurd, like ridiculous. So, awesome questions. I appreciate you guys. I know it's 2 30 in the afternoon, so not a ton of people were ready or aware for this, but if you're catching the replay, thank you so much. Uh, you can find all my stuff at Rotor Street Wolf on Twitter, rotostreetjournal.com and the podcast, Fantasy Fullback Dive. If you prefer to listen to audio rather than watch it, or you have a, a you know something at work and you can only listen rather than watch, all our podcasts are at um, com or Pod rather, dot .com, the Fantasy Fullback Dive. We pave your path to 2021 titles. I'm the Wolf. Remember, in a world full of fantasy sheep, guys, be the Wolf. See ya.